What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right, uh, we got a very important show today. Michael and I are going to be talking about something that I've never mentioned. We may have mentioned this once or twice, but we're going to go into the weeds on how to basically disposition, how to negotiate dispositions of property. So we're not going to talk about like having a buyer's list and doing Facebook. We're going to talk about when you have multiple buyers or even a buyer making an offer on your property. This obviously only pertains if you're selling, not renting. Well, you can actually do this if you're renting too, technically. How to negotiate to get the best deal and to not get screwed. And, and Michael's probably going to lead the charge here because he this is his favorite topic besides <laughs> the New York Islanders. Uh, so, I mean, Michael- That's not a good topic today, but- um, dude, The Rangers, I'll tell you what, man. Whew, watch oh, out. Rangers anyway, so let me have you just break this down because this is something that this is, and this is specific to New York State. This does not apply anywhere else because- I don't know. Nowhere you, I mean, you sign a contract on the spot, you know, in, in uh, New Jersey and shit like that. Right, you're already because you sign right. and they have an inspection window. It doesn't, the only place it, because I remember in California, any, even in Texas, the same thing, Texas, you, you sign on the spot and then you have an option window where you right. pay, pay a little bit more. Anyway. Right. So Michael, let, let's, let's get this. You are right. So first let me explain why it's different in New York. And you are absolutely right that it really only applies to New York. The way it works in New York is you, at some point, a seller and a buyer agree on a price, and that's when you have an accepted offer. And that stage of having an accepted offer, what happens next is usually the buyer is going to do, if it's a retail transaction, the buyer is going to do an inspection, and there's a whole period of time. And then the attorney's going to, the seller's attorney is going to send out the, the contract, buyer's attorney is going to negotiate, they're going to bullshit with each other. That whole process of time of accepted offer can be a month. You know, it certainly can be a couple Sometimes of weeks. Sometimes longer. Sometimes longer, sometimes more than more than a month. Um, so the old school um, realtor thinking on this is that once I have given my word as a seller that I am going to accept this offer, what I should do is no longer uh, market the property and that I should be a man of my word. The problem is that you're not legally, the problem is the buyer is not legally bound to in any way, shape or form to buy from you and therefore uh, my position on this and now i'll tell you why after getting burned so many times is that i don't really need to be legally bound to sell it to you so what i say every time or everybody in my dispo staff says is we accept your offer but we're going to continue to market the property until contracts are fully executed now sometimes people get taken back by that they say well what do you mean well what do you mean well, if you're accept if you're continuing to market the property then we don't have an accepted offer and my thinking is, no, I've accepted your offer, but until contracts are signed, you're not obligated to buy and I'm not obligated to sell. And this has resulted in, I'd say on several occasions, a very, very spirited argument between me and some other agent who was screaming at me that I'm being a bad guy. 
But the reason why I feel so strongly about this is because on maybe a dozen occasions, what's happened is that a buyer has said to me, I'm going to buy. And then all kinds of crazy things have happened. So I've, I've had a buyer promise me that they were going to go to their attorney the next day and then ghost me and never call me back. I've had situations where a buyer told me they were going to buy. And then I get a text saying, sorry, I changed my mind. I've gotten emails from attorneys saying, sorry, we changed our mind. Or guess what? The, 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 the inspection came in and they go, oh, we're good. Just, we just need a $25,000 uh, uh, credit. So when this happens enough to you, you develop enough of a thick skin to realize, why should I be the asshole who's not, set, who's not showing the property anymore, who's staying firm to my word when there is no, absolutely nothing preventing the other side from saying, sorry, uh, we changed our mind. So my, I feel very, very strongly about this, incredibly strongly. I would be happy to debate any person about it because the fact is, until contracts are signed in New York, there is no legal obligation from either side to close on the transaction. And because of that, I think it's foolish from you, from your standpoint as a seller, to do anything other than completely market the property and treat the transaction as if nothing has happened. So I, I have a great, right now, so today, great, great situation. I have a property. Uh, um, I screwed up on it. I paid too much for it. I closed on it. I'm getting some rental income from it. I thought I was going to be able to subdivide the property. And I found out from the village, I was not going to be able to subdivide the property. I listed the property. So I paid, I don't want to get, it's still, it's the, well, I paid 430 for it. And um, I figured I could probably sell for close to five. The truth is it's it's tight at five. Tight deal. Tight, tight, yeah. right? Tight in New York. But I figured I had this big upside that if I could, if I could subdivide it, it could be a, you know, a grand slam. I can make, uh, you know, 150, 200 grand on it. So, yeah. I got like a 465, 470 buyer who's dicking me around. And like, I figured, okay, I'll probably just break even on it at that point. Um, but he's dicking me around right now. I, could I be a schmuck and say, I'm not marketing property? Sure. Today I got a 499 buyer. So my point is that this stage that, that old school realtors in New York believe, this accepted offer stage, and I'll tell you a, a great example of it. I, I had a property that I'm, I'm in the middle of wholesaling and I looked in two doors down was almost the exact same house, and it was there was a for sale sign on it. So I'm like, you know, I I, I know what they're asking. Um, let me go take a look inside. So I go over there, and this realtor who was not old, but clearly learned from somebody old, and it has the same stupid ideas as person old, says to me, "Well, you can't come in because we're doing an inspection right now." I said, "Why does that? Why does that preclude me from coming in?" He goes, "Well, we've accepted an offer, and we're doing an inspection." I said to him, well, if the inspection doesn't come in for what the buyer wants, this is going to be for sale in three days, right? He goes, well, I'm very taken aback that you would go in to see it. I said, I just want to see the inside. I said, you may not even sell the property. And we, we, went, we went around in circles and the guy, the guy took pictures of my, of my license plate and like was all, he was like infuriated with the fact that after an accepted offer was accepted and an inspection was being done, that somebody would come look at the property. I mean, it's just stupid thinking because the truth is that property could have been back for sale in three days. So this is the kind of thinking that you will come into contact with in New York, but I cannot stress how strongly I feel that there is only one point in the transaction that actually matters. And that is when contracts are completely signed. It doesn't, not even when they send contracts in because I had contracts sent in where I, we agreed on a price of 450 and the contract comes in at 430. Well, guess what? I'm not signing that contract. You can shove that contract where the sun doesn't shine. So until, until I agree that the contract's fine and, and as a seller, you sign it last, 
when I see a signed contract and the and the deposit clears, at that point, I do not market the property anymore. Before that point, it is open season and anybody can come in and do it. Now, I don't, I don't like the fact that now I understand what the thinking is. The thinking is, well, if you agree to my price and then some guy comes in for $1,000 more and my client already uh, made arrangements or already ordered an, uh, 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 an inspection, I understand that. And there are situations where it's tight and I'll, and I'll say to the, and I've refunded money for an inspection or I've told the guy, listen, if you want to come up, you can match it. I'm not a jerk. But the idea is that until contracts are signed, that buyer can walk away with absolutely no recourse. You can't go back to a buyer and go, what do you mean you changed your mind? We agree on our price. There's nobody to talk to at that point. So I feel very strongly that the, the crucial words to say is I accept your offer, but I'm going to continue to market the property until contracts are fully executed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. But the biggest thing <laughs> is, is that I've had I've gotten screwed so many times mostly with rehabs and wholesales uh, and even wholesale deals, even, uh, even uh, kind of a little bit less, but still kind of with wholesale. Deals. It happens. Buyer, but on those situations on a wholesale deal, buyers are sort of more, more sophisticated and yeah, they know what they're doing. You're not going to get an angry call from a 75 year old realtor yelling at you. You're not a man of your word. You know, that's, a, that's a, everybody understands that everybody's prostituting themselves on the wholesale deals. Like I, I, I get calls all the time. Like how much is it worth? I'm like, I'll sell as much as I can get. Well, if you tell a guy I got $3,000 more, he's not going to go, oh, you're not a man of your word. So it's different. But on a retail, understand. Yeah. On hotel and rehab deals, you know, you get this moral, uh, you know, they're coming at you from a moral standpoint that you're not a man of your word. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I told you I'm going to continue to market the property until, until contracts are signed. You know what I always tell people when they get pissed at me? I say, what would you do if you were me? Like I had a deal one time, I wholesaled at $40,000 over asking price. I priced it too low, obviously. And, uh, you know, I was going to sell it to my buddy and he made me a good offer. You priced it perfectly, by the way. Thank you. And he, he made me a good offer, but I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to just get more money for this thing. And he's like, no, I totally get it. And like when someone gives you pushback, you always, if, if you're listening to the show right now, ask the other person who's giving you the flock. Like say you're talking to a crusty realtor with a dirty mustache and hasn't, you know, shaved in two years. Hey, if you were me in this situation, what would you do? And usually what you do is you catch them with their pants down and they're like, oh, well, ah, and you're like, exactly. No, so I've, got, the fuck I've up. gotten that where they go, oh, you're not, a, I would have kept my word. I would have sold it to this oh, person fucking shit you for $15,000 less because I keep my word. Right. That's, and it's yeah, well, up your fucking, you know, no, what. So what I, what I say to them is what would have happened if your client called me today and said they changed their mind? I go, would you be upset about that? I mean, would you have felt bad for me? And they go, uh, no. Then they, then they realize, then yeah. they realize what I'm saying is true because this whole idea of being a man of your word when the other side has no obligation to be, to be, to be, to, to, to stick to their word is ridiculous. Well, your word in the retail business is a contract signed. That's literally word on document with money in consideration. So that's the facts. Like that's where I see so many people like, like, actually I'll give you another example. I had this happen yesterday on a wholesale deal. We still haven't finalized it yet, but I had an offer for 220. This is in Westchester. 220. This is a shithole. Usually 220 in Westchester is like a bungalow, but this is, it's, it's upper Westchester and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a crack house in Yorktown. And uh, the, 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 the seller is actually a rehabber. <laughs> Interesting story, but I digress. Um, and I'm like, okay, I have an offer of 220. It's not a big deal. It's a smaller deal. And I told the realtor who found the buyer, I said, listen, 
pretty good chance I'm going to take this, but let's not finalize it yet because I have a few other people looking. But I, I kind of led her on, right? It's like I'm, you know, I let her, and she's like, okay, cool. And this lady's cool. I have this other lady comes in, uh, same deal. She goes 225. I go, I, so I text the first, I say, hey, listen, I hate to be the bear of bad news. I got another offer higher than your client. I said, can they do 230? And she's like, well, I get where you're coming from. She wasn't pissed at me because she got, she gets it. So I'm probably going to sell for like 225. But um, if you, if, if, if you're working with the right person who understands how the business works, they're not going to ever get pissed at you. The only time they'll really get pissed at you is if you sign a fucking contract and then you try to like cancel when you have a full, that that's like, that's, that's obvious. Right. But yeah, right. You can't, you can't really get out of it in New York. It's almost, impossible. it takes too long to get in a contract for someone to change their mind in New York. That's my favorite part about it. It's like, if you go all the way, if you go the distance all the way to the contract and you still are not sure about it, you're probably not in the position to be buying property. Right. right. <laughs> right. That's stupid or even better. I heard this. Someone said this to me. I almost, I almost fell over in my chair. He goes, my attorney wants a deposit, like a retainer deposit for a real estate transaction. And I'm like, I sold this, the person I said, are you like, is your attorney like a, a criminal? I said, I your attorney is asking you for a deposit to fucking draft a contract. I said, get another attorney right now because i have a guy i've got now i have a guy who's really been jerking my chain for two years on the same house and i understand he is possibly the most annoying person in the world oh so you can, told me about him last week i, I can almost understand his attorney asking him for some money because it every time i talk to the guy it's 45 minutes he's probably spoke to his attorney for 50 hours and never paid him but i told him listen attorneys don't should not be getting paid unless the deal closes so he's like, oh, I don't know. So I said, I'll give you another attorney if you want. But he's afraid to even talk to another attorney. So, but yeah, when people come and say, my attorney's asking for money up front, I say, you got the wrong attorney. Good real estate attorney should never ask you for a dime. They, you should be in this, your interest should be aligned. Nobody gets paid unless the deal closes. And a good, real estate, a good real estate attorney is going to understand some of his deals are not going to close due to no fault of his own or his client or even the other side. Sometimes just deals don't close for whatever reason. And he understands that some of his hours are going to be used on things that don't don't provide any money for him. But but good attorneys, you know, good real estate attorneys like the ones that we use know that you know, they get paid when and if the deal closes. Totally. So back to our original topic. So we're talking about how to negotiate with people and not. And, and, and here's one more thing I want to mention about that. And this is where I've, I've seen like um, with with when you're selling a retail property and you you have a good deal and it's going to sell and you're just trying to figure out if you're not leaving like you made a good video one time about like why for sale by owner doesn't make any sense because you you logically walk through why it's, it's kind of stupid you'll never right because you'll right. never know you never know if you got the most money for no you'll never know exactly so you made that video it's a really good video people haven't saw that they should go on mike's youtube channel and check it out but when when you put like let's say now let's walk through like a in a theoretical example, right? Or we could use a real deal, but you, you put a nice fresh, let's say you put a rehab on the market and it's in a great area and it's going to sell. Like you just know it's going to sell its price, right? It's in no inventory. Now, how do you, how does your team, Michael, systematize and process? Because I found like when I've done this before, I might've had a higher offer that's FHA, which I usually know is going to be a major problem. And then I've had a conventional offer that might be as a hair lower, but they're like not fucking around. So what, what do you guys do to make sure you don't get fumbled? You know, how do you it's, make the decision? It's not easy, right? But by the way, even before you actually make that decision, um, 
juggling multiple offers sometimes is difficult, right? Because Very you don't want to, you don't want to lose an offer. Mm-hmm. You, want, you want to squeeze every 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 bit out of everybody that you can. Yes. But sometimes you piss people off, and it's happened. And if you're done enough of them, you realize you might lose somebody. And I've I've had situations where I've lost the highest offer. Um, I've, or I've lost an offer that was close to the highest offer, and then the highest offer left, left and I felt a little bad. But but if, if you usually, if you're in, in today's market, if you're in multiple offer situations, it's usually not going to be a big deal. But juggling those offers is not easy. Now, how do we make a decision? That is not so simple. So let's. I'm going to start. A, I'm going to start from like the worst offer you can get that is almost irrelevant to price. So the worst offer you can get is something that is contingent on the sale of another property. Oh. That's, Right. Forget about that. If you get something like that, it would. I would say, I can't even imagine how much money more than the next offer it would have to be at for me to Seven want seven figures. Right, because you have a you have a transaction that's completely out of your control that that determines whether you're going to get whether this guy's going to buy from you or not. So that's a problem. Um, the second worst uh, kind of offer I would say is an F, is an FHA uh, borrower because. At least in our areas, we don't need to go to FHA borrowers. So in the in the really lower end areas, and I've done some of these where I've sold houses like three hundred thousand dollars, all your offers might be FHA. But in most of these situations, you want to avoid FHA. So just to explain what FHA is and why it's not as good. So FHA is the Federal Housing Authority. It is simply an insurance company. They insure loans from regular lenders. So your lend, your 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 borrower is going to get his loan from Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, that kind of thing. Um, but FHA insures it. The the problem with FHA loans. It, well, first of all, the advantage of FHA loans is that you only have to put three and a half percent down. So they're going to give to get a loan for ninety six and a half percent. They're going to have to pay uh, this insurance premium every month. It's going to sort of increase their payment. But a lot of people don't have more than three and a half percent, so they're going to go to FHA. The problem with FHA is that FHA does its own its own appraisal. Everybody does an appraisal, but an FHA appraisal has certain specific requirements. So they're going to if you don't have railings on any steps, they're going to make you. Oh, put, I've gotten fucked like that before, dude. You don't have smoke detectors. And carbon monoxide detectors are going to make you put them in. If there is any kind of damage in the area, they may ask you to repair it. And these are the kind of things you will not have with a conventional loan. So this, the third is a conventional. So, so a conventional loan is a is a non-government guaranteed loan. It means non-FHA, non-VA, um, and it's from a regular lender, from a Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, that kind of thing. So those are better for you as a, as a seller, because they're never going to ask you, they're almost, almost never going to ask you to make repairs. Once in a while, they ask you to do something, something's obviously bad. But assuming it's financeable though, assuming the property is financeable. So, so for any, for any of these situations, you're going to need uh, the kitchen to work, the bathrooms to work, the, the no obvious roof leaks, not, not any major, the property has to be livable. So conventional yeah. loan is better. Now, after what, what, what improves the offers would be more money down. So uh, a 5% conventional loan um, at a certain amount is, I would look at it as not as good as a 10% uh, conventional loan down. Even so, if it was close, I would say, well, this guy's putting 10% down. He's less of a, a risk. So the less money a borrower puts down is more of a risk factor for you as a seller. Um, obviously, the best situation where they're putting at least 20% down, they don't even have mortgage insurance at that point. Mortgage insurance is something you have to pay if you put less than 20% down. So you want the person that's got the, the, the biggest down payment percentage-wise and you prefer uh, conventional loans over FHA loans. Now, if I had a, an FHA buyer that was significantly more, so I'm talking about $30,000, $30,000 more, I would consider doing an FHA, right? If the guy, if you know, I, but what, what I do, because I have a lot of mortgage experiences, I'll call the, the pre-approval people and I'll say, 
do you really know if this guy's a good bar, bar, borrower or not? A lot of people don't do that. And most of the, most of these morons will say yes, but I'll say, have you, besides running his credit, do you really, have you seen his income and asset information? That's the question I'm going to ask. And then I'm going to also mention what the taxes are on the property. I'm going to say, is he, is he, or his numbers okay if the tax, because sometimes my property is $15,000 a year in taxes, right? I had a property in Hempstead that has its own village taxes. When I first started, I didn't even know what village taxes were. And the village taxes were $6,000 a year. So it was an extra $500 a month. So I went to contract like four times with people who were good borrowers who couldn't qualify because of an extra $500 a month in village taxes. So I'll usually ask the, the loan officer, and sometimes they don't talk to you, but I'll, I'll try to get as deep as I can at that. How good of a borrower is this? And how well, how much do you really know the borrower? Because most of these guys don't know anything, right? I used to do pre-approvals for people. All I would do was run their credit. If their credit score was good, I would ask them how much income they have and ask them how much assets they had, right? So I didn't know if the, the guy says I make $100,000 a year, but I don't know if he shows $100,000 a year. He might show $2,000 a year and, and the rest gets written off for, for depreciation. I don't know. So, so I, I'll ask them and I'll try and get a better feel from how good the borrower is from the from the mortgage from the mortgage lender, but in general, those are the kind of uh, those are the kind of um, offers and what or the contingency situations that you want to think about are better or worse. Also, if a guy will go non mortgage contingency, so I've had a guy say, I'm, "I beg me for a house. I need this house. You have to sell me this house," and he'll say, "What do I have to do to get this house?" And let's say he was. I wish every uh, buyer was like that. Right. So I said, I said, go, you know, waive the mortgage contingency. Basically, I go, you're going into this thing with no contingencies. The only way you're not closing is if I can't provide clean title. And the guy said, yes. So that's awesome. Right. I, that's worth money to me to, 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 uh, I would take a lower offer if the guy was non-mortgage contingent, because, because what a lot of people don't know is that a standard retail contract in New York has a mortgage contingency. And that is a get out of contract free card. I've had people jerk me around for three or four months and then say, sorry, I got denied. And that can happen. But if he's not working contingent, he can't get out of the contract. So it's much, much better. Uh, even better would be someone who said, um, I have all the cash. I have the money. I'll show you proof of funds and I'll close this in three weeks. That's like the best deal, right? That's even better because most mortgages today are going to take two to three months, right? That's in a good situation. So if someone says, listen, I have the cash. I'll show you the money in the bank and I'll close without a mortgage. That's gold. No, I mean, uh, that's that's a, that's the holy grail, right? That's, that's the gold standard, right? That's what we all, what we all dream of. It doesn't happen a lot on a retail situation. So that's really the, be the best bar. The second best bar, I'd say, is the guy who's putting a lot of money down and getting a conventional loan. Third would be somebody putting less down and getting a conventional loan. The fourth would be an FHA buyer who you know is putting 3.5% down. And then the, the, the last, the worst, would be somebody who wants to buy your property contingent on the sale oh. of that is such a mess with that. It, 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 oh, I, I've actually, you know, I'm sure in, you know, other States, you know, we've both done stuff out of state. I'll, I'll fill out a contract on an out of state deal. And it'll be like, this property is, or is not contingent upon the sale of another property. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I delete it from, <laughs> you know, I just like delete it like is not, you know, in bold. Yes. Um, and that, that's see, this is the reason Michael and I got into the weeds on the show today is because when you're, if you're brand new, let's say you don't want to wholesale, you want to rehab houses. So people talk about rehabbing houses. Number one, the construction is hard, right? That's just, I don't care where you are. I don't care what construction is hard, no matter, I don't care if you're doing a hundred a year or you're doing one a year construction. The reason it's hard, and that's a general statement, I'll explain why. There's multiple points of failure in construction that are out of your control, right? You have one contractor could do the plumbing great, but then the, the, the carpenter could cut his finger off and sue you, right? So it's like, you have so many different things that can go wrong. And then the second part about rehabbing that is difficult 
and I'm not trying to deter people from rehabbing. I just say, you got to go in this with your eyes open is the disposition. When you're selling a property, right? You just went through a dog and pony show to rehab a house. Maybe you bought it from Michael or I, so you overpaid, right? <laughs> and, 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 and you, you then turn, I hope my, my buyers don't listen to this, by the way, they, they know better. Um, then you go try to sell the property. And now you have the, these roadblocks. You have, you know, these, these realtors trying to force you to, to be a man of your word or a woman of your word. You don't know what offer to take. So you gotta, you gotta listen to the show and you gotta understand like it's a process, right? And, and, and sometimes and I, I do this to this day, I will take sometimes less money if the terms are much better. And I've done that many times. I'll continue to do that. I just did that on a property two weeks ago. The guy offered uh, 138, this is a cheap property in upstate New York, 138,500 cash. Right. And I think my asking price was 150. And I, I, it was, it was already, I was already going to make money. And I'm, this guy was cash. It was our, honestly our only offer. And I'm like, you know, even if some jerk off came in at full ask with a mortgage contingency, I don't want the piece. Like there's, there's, there's real value. I'm learning this as I get older in peace of mind and not having something bother you. Like that's what knowing we, if a lender is going to fund your dealer. You know what I mean? That's what we provide, right? That's why people sell us properties because we provide them the certainty, the certainty and convenience. So we want that. Everybody wants that certainty and convenience. Everybody does. Um, and we want it too, right? We, 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 you know, we give up. So there's, I don't think there's a way to quantify how much any of those issues are worth. Right. But you have to understand where where all orders are on the on the on the spectrum and where 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 the more valuable offers are. So, you know, I've I've spoken to guys who were rehabbing for like the first or second time and they took a shit offer because it was more money. And I took and, and they came back to me and said, I'm screwed. You know, um, I'm in contract and this it's contingent on another sale, which is contingent on another sale. Like it's a daisy chain of four properties and the fourth property fell apart. And I'm like. You, you fucked up. I mean, you took a shitty offer. Go, Did you have other offers? And he's like, yeah, I had offers, but this one was the best one. I go, no, it wasn't the best one. It was the highest amount. I said, but you, you screwed up. And these are, these are things you learn by, by doing, you know, I'll have, I'll have, uh, I'll have realtors call me and go, I have this offer. It's not contingent on any property. I'm like, lady, that's the price of admission. I, if you, if you told me it was contingent on a sale of another property, I don't think we need to have this discussion. I said, so let's just get into how much it is and how much you're putting down. So funny. Yeah. Uh, so and that's why at the end of the day, you know, we, we talked about how to do this on the retail market. And even if you're wholetailing, like, and let's, here's one more thing I want to mention on the show, because we're really, you know, getting in the weeds on this and then we'll wrap it up. This is what no one tells you about wholetailing. Okay. If you have a property that is a complete piece of shit, like I'm talking to where you're not going to get financing on it or someone can't get financing on it. That is very hard to, to, when I say wholetailing, I mean, a retail buyer is not buying that, right? So you have to know, this is where you need to know your shit. You have to understand, depending on what area of the state you live in, if you put that piece of shit on the MLS, it better sell for a lot more money to those cash buyers compared to your buyer's list. Because the second you close, you're going to have some serious costs. So a lot of newbies will buy a property, think it's a wholetail deal put it on the MLS and they'll either sell it for less, which they could have wholesaled it for, or they'll get stuck with this piece of shit that they can't sell. They might not have the money to fix and they're really fucked. So, I mean, that's something that no one talks about because you can really get in trouble doing that. People do it all the time. Especially in an expensive area where the taxes are high, like up by you and me. I mean, that's, you can get, you can get me, you could really get in, in deep shit doing that. 
we buy you and I buy properties from people like that all the time that screwed up, you know. It's it's a uh, you know, maybe there's a list, honestly, you know, where, where you can well the thing is with that, it's we actually have one we're negotiating now where the con something happened to the contractor and then she wants to sell it and kind of like break even. And that that's I honestly I'm almost doing that on a property that I have right now, right? I already kind of rehabbed it, but like it, it it's in the same situation. So you know, when you're the, here's the takeaway from that, that, that point I made, if you're wholetailing a property, you're always going to do much better. If that property, you, maybe if you, even if I'd rather pay a little bit more for a nicer property and wholesale, than get a dump for cheap on a septic system. If you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of how I look at it. Correct. And I say this to everybody. I'm like, I'd rather pay more for a nicer property. Well, it depends. It depends well, on the when I say pay more, it's relative, not I like overpay, but what you mean for 10 sure. grand, you know, wholesaling is great, but it has to be, it has to be mortgage a right? That person has to be able 100%. to go to. Absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, I, I think the listeners got a lot of uh, information thrown at them today. And uh, I, I encourage them to listen to this over and over again. And uh, you know, before you're going to buy a property or sell a property, play this podcast again. Right. And, and you don't have to listen to the whole thing, but Go to the points where, you know, you think it's most relevant. And uh, also leave a review. That's how we grow the show. That's how the, um, the people find out about this. I know this is a niche of a niche podcast because New York real estate investing, you know, there's not a billion people doing it, but there's enough to warrant a podcast. So leave a review on iTunes, share it with your friends, share it with your colleagues. If you're maybe you're a real estate agent and you're listening to the show, if you can share it with your office, if you have a brokerage, share it with all the agents right? They can definitely benefit from this information. So until the next episode, Greg Helbeck and Michael Pinter signing off. Bye-bye.